how many times as a teacher you're sitting there and at lunchtime or break time or in between classes, here comes one of your players and all of a sudden he just failed a, 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 an algebra test. Coach, what do I do? Or, hey, I just broke up with my boyfriend, girlfriend. Coach, I really need somebody to talk to. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm having trouble at home, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I'll be honest with you. I never took a lunch break. I was in that cafeteria every day because I felt like I actually did my best teaching, my best coaching at lunchtime a lot of times. I always say that kids never change, but the culture's changed. And I think with our culture in today's world, uh, high school athletics is just uh, that much more important. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. It's a great day to get better. And on the other side of this intro, there's an absolute coaching legend, a true lifer who has a wealth of knowledge. He's the type of guy who could probably come on this show for like 10 episodes in a row, and we'd still only be scratching the surface. I really can't wait to dive in with you. But while you're here, it would mean a lot to me if you just took a moment to leave a rating, especially if you're listening on an Apple device. And be sure to head over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to sign up for the free newsletter and to grab your very own stickers to help support the show. And if you're listening to this within the first few days of its release, mark your calendars. 9 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, September 14th, you can join me and some phenomenal coaches from around the country as we jump into the fifth HS Coaches Club chat. The topic, and this is a good one that everyone will want to be part of, fundraising. As always, thanks for tuning in and a huge thank you to Will and the gang over at Netting Pros for sponsoring the High School Coaches Club. In addition to the design aspect of facility improvement, Netting professionals specialize in the fabrication and installation of custom netting, digital graphic wall padding, windscreen turf, turf protectors, benches, cubbies, and so much more. Obviously, baseball and softball are giant markets for netting pros, but they have customers in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field, golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They are truly making facilities better all across America, providing high-quality products and services to recreational, college, professional, and of course, high school facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. They're incredible, they're amazing, and they're improving programs one facility at a time. This podcast is also sponsored by Driveline Plus. High school coaching is about effectively identifying and communicating what athletes need to do to improve. Driveline Plus is a growing and ever-changing library of the best information on baseball player development. Members will find how-tos on different baseball technology and the latest research findings from Driveline's lab, along with inside access to Driveline trainers to make sure you can effectively coach your team. Plus, members also get the best discounts that you can find on Driveline training gear. Listeners of this podcast can get $25 off their first year of Driveline Plus using the coupon code HSCC. That's the letters HSCC for $25 off your first year of Driveline Plus. Go to drivelinebaseball.com slash plus to learn more. You can also find the link down in the show notes. All right, this episode features Rob Younger. He's currently the president of the Oregon Athletic Coaches Association, but he's also served as a coach for 45 years, in addition to 14 years as the president of the Mid-Valley Umpires Association. Seriously, nothing I can say here will do justice to his career and what he's done for high school kids. So I'll just say this, when he speaks, everyone listens. And I'm so glad we had a chance to sit down and get a conversation with him for the permanent record. It's a good one, and he's a good one. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 47 with Rob Younger. All right, Rob Younger, thanks for joining the show. Well, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. I know you've uh, been in the coaching world for a long time. Uh, if these numbers are correct, and you can correct them if they're wrong, but uh, 45 total years as a high school coach, uh, 74 individual sports seasons spread among a handful of different sports. Um, so obviously you see the value of high school sports. So let's just start with this. If somebody asked you, why are high school sports important? What would you say? Well, I think um, the long-term effect is so important. It was interesting. You, you brought that right off the top this week. I had a uh, ex-player of mine all the way back to the 1980s um, contact me and just really talked about you know, the lessons that they learned uh, from competitive athletics at the high school level. And um, just uh, like he said, it, it made him a better dad, it made him a better husband, 
a better workforce. And, and so I think just the long-term effects that uh, uh, kids get from being in competitive high schools, athletics is such an important part, um, teaching them the skills that they need to um, really, um, they can use in life. And then the second thing I think in today's world is that uh, we've lost so, you know, coaching has changed, athletics has changed so much in the uh, five decades that I've been a part of it, uh, from when I played in the 1960s to coaching, uh, you know, early in the 70s and then uh, here recently. And uh, I, I just think, you know, I always say that kids never change, but the culture's changed. And I think with our culture in today's world, uh, high school athletics is just uh, that much more important. Do you know, like, I mean, obviously you've been around coaching a long time. Um, you, you mentioned that you, over the the course of that time, coaching and high school sports have obviously changed. What what kind of ways has it changed? Um, I don't know. I, I think, well, let me just put it this way. Uh, when I became a head coach in the 1980s, uh, I thought it was crucial that we got to know our players. Um, and we maybe can come back and talk about that later. But uh, one of the things I did each sports season I coached is we would have a survey. And on that survey, we would have different questions that uh, our student athletes would answer. And um, one of the crazy questions I asked is, um, are you living with your two biological parents just to get to kind of know them a little bit better? Mm. Um, and I'm not saying in today's world, that's a perfect thing because, uh, it isn't, but I just thought it was kind of interesting to kind of get that as a, as a, as a data point. And when, uh, when I started coaching the 1980s, uh, usually about 55% of our student athletes, um, were living with their two biological parents. Uh, each uh, decade I coached, uh, that percentages went down. In my last year of coaching in 2009 as a head coach, uh, I asked that question, and uh, it was 17%. Less than one out of a five of our uh, players wow. actually were living with their two biological parents. Uh, and I think, um, in fact, more than 50% of them were from coming from single-parent uh, homes. And because of that, I think the coach's role becomes so much, so much more important because in, in a lot of ways, we fulfill that role that uh, our student athletes don't have um, that they used to have. Uh, and, and I think that's a big part of uh, what coaching is today. Um, I really, inter um, um, it, it, it's just so critical that coaches develop relationships um, where we can teach um, our players, uh, just what, you know, like I said, leadership skills, communicative skills, uh, what it is to be a good man, what it is to be a good, uh, uh, woman, what it is to be a good person, uh, that maybe they just don't get in today's world because of the, uh, I really believe the, uh, um, the, the, how our family structures change so much over the years. Yeah. And, and as a coach, you only get, four years, maybe less, you know, if kids are transferring or whatnot, or if they're picking up your sport. So you only have, uh, you have a very finite amount of time. I had one coach say something to me once kind of along the tune of, you know, if, if after your four years, just he was a baseball coach, if after your four years, you're better at baseball, has that really done anything for you? And so just kind of stressing that importance of a, of a coach's role as being so much more than about the sport itself. And, and, in fact, the sport ends up being a very small part of what you're actually doing on the job as a coach. So true. You know, I think one of the most difficult things a coach has to do is balance that short-term success with long-term player development. You know, we put a big emphasis on big emphasis on short-term success, whether or not it is from year to year. You know, are we going to win a league championship? Or is this year, did I end up being um, uh, one and eight in football or four and 20 in, in baseball. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, it's interesting. You know, one of the joys that we have as coaches and, and being an old timer, I get a lot more of it, is when our kids come back and actually sit down and talk. Um, let me give you an interesting story. Uh, 1987, we had a, a fantastic football team. It was just one of those teams that, you know, was just special. Uh, we went 13-0. and won the state championship. It was 35 nothing at halftime. I mean, it was just an unbelievable football team. So in 2007, I thought it'd be kind of fun to bring them back for their 20-year reunion. And we did that on a, on homecoming. Uh, they came back and uh, was honored. And then after the football game that night, we went out and just had a get-together. 
as we started talking that evening, uh, it was interesting that not one of our players that came back that evening talked about um, how well we coached them to co- uh, to defend the, that post corner route or how we talked them how to block or how we tackled. The entire evening was spent about talking about relationships, uh, relationships with one another, relationships with uh, the player and their coaches staff, uh, and then uh, all the lessons that they learned um, that uh, from football that made them better um, individuals. Um, and so it was really refreshing for me to kind of sit there and listen to these things uh, these players talked about. And, you know, a lot of us as coaches um, – the things I really enjoy is when a, a player comes back maybe 30 years in my case after we coached them or, or, or even 15 or five years. And what they're talking about is every time it's that long-term effect that coaches have on them. And uh, it, it's not that short-term success that they might have in that season and all. So as coaches, I really think that we have to remember that, you know, we play such a big emphasis on um, those short-term successes. And I'm not saying that we don't want to teach them how to compete. I'm not saying that we don't want to teach them how to strive to be successful and win uh, in their events. But what I am saying is those things lead to the long-term effects, and that's what's more critical than anything else. And uh, I would hope we get to talk a little bit about how the importance of the relationship between a coach and a player uh, as we kind of go through this uh, today's discussion. But uh, those are the things those uh, players remember. Uh, one of the greatest lessons I had that night is one of our players that really wasn't uh, one of our key guys. He was kind of a backup. Uh, he was a great practice player. Uh, he was kind of what we call as a, 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 a um, well, I'll be honest with you. He was a um, couch surfer. Uh, he didn't really have a good home life. And a lot of times he would end up on different players, uh, friends, couches and all. And so he didn't have the greatest um, life but he comes up to me and uh, we're sitting there talking and he says, um, I just got to tell you, coach, what I am enjoying more than anything else right now in life is teaching my son, who happened to be eight years old at the time, the lessons I learned from playing football. He says, I'm teaching him how to handle failure. I'm teaching how to be a leader. I'm teaching him how to handle adversity and make commitments, handling success. Um, and, you know, we put a big emphasis in our programs of being a, a servant to one another and serv- servanthood leadership. And all. he says, I'm teaching them how to do those kind of things. And all coach, he says, uh, and, and I started kind of crying and he says, what are you crying for, coach? And I said, well, what you're telling me is that coaching just became eternal in that I coached you, but now you're coaching your son. And now that son someday might coach your grandson. And so what the lessons you learn from football or from playing competitive high school athletics are eternal. And uh, he says, yeah, you're right, coach. And I think that's some things that we often remember as we are coaching our student athletes. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge part of being a coach is this idea that I think has become a lot more well, maybe not more prominent, but maybe people are a little bit more aware of it than they've been before, just because I think coaches have been a little more open about talking about it. But it's that idea of of being transformational as a coach, not being transactional. It's not about what can you do for me as a player? How, you know, how many yards can you run to, you know, how many touchdowns can you score? Um, it's about the long-term effect of those years that you have to impact and impart, you know, challenges and lessons and, and, and things upon this kid. So like you're saying, so that your coaching becomes eternal because it gets passed on and carried on through the lessons these kids learn from you. And I think we have to be um, conscious of that importance. We have to actually make sure that we're incorporating those kind of lessons into our coaching. Um, What I want to make sure that I'm doing, you know, we would have um, lessons each week that we were trying to emphasize, you know, uh, kind of uh, uh, to our players. And so as coaches, I think we have to actually be conscious of, whether it be in our practice plans or in our team meetings or whatever else, we're continually giving them things that can actually be used by them. And that's when I go back to, you know, the family structure. Maybe they're not getting it at home because they don't have a dad at home now or they don't have a mom at home or whatever. And so the bottom line is we as coaches have taken that role in a lot of ways as making sure that these kids develop um, and can actually be productive members of our society going forward well that's 
yeah, that's where I, I definitely wanted to go with you because, you know, it, it sounds great on paper. You know, it was coaching's about relationships, uh, long-term benefits, becoming good dads and husbands. But ultimately, as a coach, like you're at some point, you're sitting down to write the lesson plan for today's practice. As a coach who obviously did this for a long time and now in your 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 other role that we'll get into in a little bit too, um, you're helping other coaches kind of figure this sort of thing out too. But when you actually sit down to, to create your, your practice plan, how do you actually build this stuff into it so that you're not only focusing on the athletic components of, of a practice? A uh, Great question. Uh, let me give you kind of a story. My first year in coaching was 1975 uh, at a junior high. And in that following year, I decided that what I was going to do is I was uh, I was at Oregon State as an undergraduate at the time. And what I was going to do is take the spring and summer off. I was going to make a whole bunch of money building houses. And I was going to go on a road trip. I had a camper and I was going to go out and um, uh, tour, tour America and go to every baseball park in America and watch baseball in August <laughs> and, um, and September. And um, two days before I was going to leave, uh, Gary Ritchie, great mentor of mine, uh, was the head coach at Crescent Valley High School at the time. He comes up to me and I was playing, uh, I was shooting hoops in my front yard and he comes driving up and he says, uh, Rob, I got an opportunity for you. And I said, what's that coach? And he says, I want you to coach the varsity football team this year and be our running back coach. And I thought, wow, what a great opportunity, but I'm just getting ready to take off coach. And he says, well, you wouldn't be disappointed. And I thought about it. And sure enough, I put the camper away for the year and uh, I was coaching football two days later and uh, it changed my life. And the interesting part of this story was we thought we were going to be a good football team uh, in 1976 at Crescent Valley. We'd won numerous games a year before Crescent Valley because it was a new school, but had had great success in football and, and other sports. And <laughs> you won't believe it, but we went 0-9. I, it was just such a shock <laughs> to us and, and to me. I'd never been in that situation before. And all of a sudden, we were not very successful. And so as a coaching staff, we sat down in the off season, and we kind of looked at ourselves. And, and uh, I remember a, a quote uh, by Tom Landry that we kind of emphasize. When you want to win a game, you have to teach. When you lose a game, you have to learn. And so that staff, with Gary's direction, all we did in the offseason was say, hey, how can we get better? What happened? And it was interesting that it wasn't the X's and the O's. It was actually the character development and the leadership of that team that led us to the O and 9 team. So we went to all kinds of clinics and professional development opportunities. We read books, trying to get better. And uh, the emphasis going into the 77 team was that uh, we were going to create a different environment that our kids actually played in and practiced in. Well, we were the first team in the state of Oregon that went from 0-9 to 9-0. and The next year we were undefeated and we had a great football team and we and it really emphasized to me, yeah, the players really didn't change, but the environment had changed a lot. And uh, so we really looked at how we kind of did that and all. And so when I started becoming a head coach and all, what we wanted to do is really emphasize teaching that character and the leadership that uh, you you were talking about and all. And so what we did is we wanted to develop a program chemistry that was based on honesty, hard work, sacrifice, loyalty. But the leadership model was the, the very important thing that was most important. Uh, what we would start with our team meeting in the first of the year is we pretty much said, hey, guys, there's about five to ten percent of the teams in this state that can win a league win a not only a league ch uh, championship but a state championship, and if we want to do that, we got to be unique. Uh, and so what we're going to do this year is that talent only gives us a chance to win. We're going to teach life lessons, values, character within our daily and weekly game preparation. That's going to give us that separation from those other ninety percent of the teams. Um, because I really believe that good coaches understand the game, great coaches understand the game and their athletes and how to teach to both. And so what we would give each year is that we would have um, the definition of what a successful team was. Uh, we would talk about our season's going to be a journey, not a destination, because 
Um, you know, too many teams say our whole success is based on that championship game at the end of the year or winning that league championship. That wasn't our goal. Our goal was the journey along the, the path to get to that point. Um, and so what we said is attitude and chemistry of this football team uh, are the keys to winning. So the very first thing that we talked about was that you had to trust your teammates. You had to respect your teammates. You had to have great character, that servant-like attitude. And uh, each player had to take ownership. The great teams that I had uh, as a head coach, every one of them had great player ownership. The teams that weren't so successful, I could almost directly relate it to the amount of ownership that our players took, and rather than me having to be the disciplinarian, rather than me having to be the leader, um, it was the players that were the leaders. A great story I always like to tell is um, one of our really successful football teams. We ended up being um, in the state semifinals, and we didn't even think we'd have a chance to win the league championship. We're in the state semis. And so we win the league championship. At that time, we had to buy uh, that first round and all. And so that first week, we just kind of went back and talked fundamentals, talked some special team stuff, had short practices. And we were getting ready to take off uh, after Thursday's practice as a coaching staff to go scout our, uh, maybe our opponents for the next week. And uh, all of a sudden I look into the team room and they're having a team meeting. And um, I'm asked, I'm going, why in the world are they having a team meeting? This is our bye week. And, and so I kind of let them go and um, doors were closed and they were just getting after one another a little bit. And after the, uh, uh, we got showered and kind of getting ready to leave. I ran into one of our underclassmen. I said, hey, what was going on? What was Travis and Brandon talking about? And they said, coach, they were saying that uh, they knew that there was a party or two this weekend and that if they caught anybody uh, wrecking our season, that uh, they would take care of them. Uh, coach Younger wouldn't have to worry about them because um, Brandon and Travis were going to take care of them. And that's the kind of player ownership that uh, – that I'm talking about, you know, they took the discipline part and they said, Hey, we're not doing these kind of things because we have bigger and better things down the road and all. And so, you know, how do you teach that? Well, each week we would have a theme of the week. Um, one week it might be, um, confidence. And so our thoughts for the day, every day I would have a thought for the day to start the practice off uh, that I would, we'd kind of relate to the team. Uh, let me just give you an example. Life's a journey, not a destination. Yeah. Um, and so I'd say that thought for the day and then I'd ask him, OK, how does that apply to football and our football team? And, you know, I'd get a couple guys kind of talking about it a little bit. And then I ask him, well, how does that apply to life? And again, a couple guys would talk a little bit about it. Then we'd be off to practice and all. And every time a coach would have a, a, a meeting with a, one of their players or wherever else, they'd bring that theme for the week up to them. And we'd kind of talk about it and everything else. If I had a pregame talk or something like that, it was kind of based on those kind of things. And also each week we would have a theme for the week, um, whether it be courage, poise, discipline, perseverance, uh, how to win and lose with dignity, uh, teamwork, how to be a great competitor, sportsmanship, integrity, all these kind of things we would talk about as our themes for the week throughout the season. Um, and so, yeah, I, and the kids just really loved it. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think that's one way you can do it uh, within your practice plans, within your 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 ideas from the week and all. And just kind of incorporate those kind of um, thoughts um, as you go through the week. That's that's absolute gold. I love it. The because that's the the big issues that we like as coaches will have like these grand ideas of what we want our program to be and the vision. But then, you know, at some point you do have to sit down and come up with the practice plan. And if you aren't actually intentionally building that stuff in, is it really going to come through? And I think that idea of having thoughts of the day built off the theme of the week, built off of kind of the program standards or, or ethics or principles, whatever people want to call them, I think is a really great way to do that. For the, for the theme of the week and the thought of the days, are those, are those things that you mapped out before the season started? Or is that stuff that as the season went on, you adjusted or changed or created based on what you thought the team needed? A little bit of both. I think my first two or three, four weeks were kind of um, a template. I would look at the football team or the baseball, softball team, whatever team I was coaching. And I said, OK, these are the kind of things I want to start with as a foundation uh, for this season. 
And so we might have two or three, four weeks, um, you know, mapped out. And then what we would do is uh, one of our meetings with our coaches each week at the end of this uh, week, say, okay, hey, what are things we need to work on this coming week? And what would be the theme of the week? And so, you know, and a lot of times they'd repeat from year to year to year. Um, but a lot of times we would make it specific uh, to what we needed at that time. And uh, we'd get to the state playoffs or whatever, and we, then we really emphasize some things, kind of what we wanted to. One thing I forgot to tell you and it, about this theme for the week of, that we really felt was important was uh, we would reinforce it with a presenter maybe once a week, ask somebody to come in outside the staff uh, and do it. Uh, a lot of times it might be a, a past uh, alumni athlete that uh, was a part of the program that we'd ask come back and, hey, you have a five-minute presentation on leadership or do you have a five-minute presentation on loyalty? Uh, but I'll be honest with you, one of the best things that we started doing is if we didn't bring an athlete in, we'd bring a staff member in. And they sometimes were the most powerful people that would say something. I'll never forget a, a, one of our home ec teachers. I don't know if you call them home ec teachers anymore, but one of our uh, <laughs> home ec teachers uh, who the kids just loved uh, came out and she was just a dynamite uh, talking about uh, that theme of the week. And uh, what I found was not only was it a positive thing for our players, but what it created was all of a sudden that home ec teacher, that social studies teacher, that science teacher that would be our presenters, guess what? They all of a sudden were pro uh, Huskies. Man, they wanted to be a part of our program. They wanted yeah. to do the Friday nights. Now they were they had ownership in our teams and all because they had actually come and presented. And uh, it was just a win-win for us in so many ways. Once in a while, we'd bring in a community member, uh, the leader of a bank or um, – you know, one of our uh, maybe if if, if uh, Les Schwab or somebody like that had been a great booster for us, uh, I'd have bring in the um, manager of Les Schwab and he could talk about, uh, you know, whatever that theme of the week was. And so it, it really turned out a positive for us. And you say, well, I don't have time to practice. Well, hey, what we found is five minutes. It, it was golden. Um, and so that was just another thing that we, we do it with the uh, reinforcement with our, our different group of people coming in. Well, and that's the second part, right? Is that thought always of this is taking away from practice time. But again, going back to what you mentioned, you know, early on in this, it's it's that idea of short term benefit versus the long term. Like, what am I actually trying to do as a coach? And what you I'm sure you found over time is those five minutes every day not only made you better in the long run as as people, but I'm sure it actually made the team better in the short term, too. So it's kind of this counterintuitive thing where it's like giving up five minutes to make us better for the long run ends up actually making us better in the short term too. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. You know, when you're, you're facing that adversity um, and all of a sudden um, a player has to come to the party, you know, we always said that, um, you know, in, in football, that huddle is so critical and we're not in the huddle on Friday nights or Thursday nights. Uh, those kids are. And so if they can have their ownership in their team, if they ha go back and look at the things that we've talked about that week of how to overcome adversity or whatever, those five minutes are worth a half an hour of doing a fundamental drill of teaching, hitting or blo uh, blocking or, um, you know, whatever. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think it's really easy as a coach if you really sit down to look at your practice plan. I think you could you could find some things to cut out or, or, or minimize or whatever to find five minutes. I'm sure there's five minutes of wasted time in probably everybody's practice at some level. Um, so before before we transition into your your the role that you're basically in now, um, you, you, you spent a lot of time at Sweet Home. Um, can you just give people who are listening who have no idea about you know, Oregon, let alone Sweet Home, like, what was your experience there like? What was the community like? Just kind of a, a, an overview of what Sweet Home means to you. Well, I kind of started off and, and talked about, uh, I was raised in Corvallis uh, at a golden time. I can remember as a young boy, um, jumping on my bicycle after mom fed me breakfast, and I'd ride over to Oregon State University, and I'd uh, sit there and I'd watch uh, the Beavers practice spring football practice, um, and then I'd jump over to Bell Field, where, where it used to be right next to Coleman Field, and I could park my bike. I'd go up to the top of the grandstands there at Coleman Field um, and watch a great 
college baseball game at the same time watching a, a, high, a college track meet uh, from the top, stand, top row of the grandstands. Uh, and so, you know, life was so good growing up. And uh, I love Corvallis. I, you know, I, I went to Linfield for one year, uh, came back to Oregon State, uh, did my undergraduate and my master's work there. Uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, I'm working a college baseball game at Lynn Benton Community College. I just was getting ready to graduate. It was May. I was working first base, and uh, a gentleman comes up and introduced himself from the uh, uh, sidelines during in between innings and said, my name's Dick Price, and I'm the principal uh, at uh, Sweet Home, and we're looking for a biology teacher, uh, defensive coordinator for our football team, and a baseball coach. And I, are you interested? And I said, sure, I'm interested. I'd love to come over to Sweet Home and, um, and, and interview. Now, Sweet Home, when I was growing up uh, at Corvallis High School, was kind of the doorman of the uh, Valley League. They were competing against the three large Salem schools, the one Albany School, Lebanon, and Corvallis High School. And so they had some, you know, trouble being with the numbers and all being successful and all. I kind of thought sweet home, but it would be, be interesting. But, you know, things had changed a little bit. They changed leagues and they were competing against schools their size rather than the larger schools and all. So I come over, interview, and I was very impressed with the people. Very, very impressed with Mr. Price and the administrative team and the athletic director. Uh, and then I was very impre- impressed with Rod Rummery and the football staff. So I said, yeah, I'd be interested in that job. Um, and so I was hired in 1980. Um, and during the interview process, I'll never forget this statement. I told Mr. Price, I was pretty cocky back in those days. I said, Mr. Price, I got to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I come from Corvallis. I went to Corvallis high school. I, I coached at Crescent Valley these last five years. Um, I'll, uh, I'm going to come out over here and, and, and teach and coach here for maybe two, three years, but I'm going to be going back to the bigger school. But I'm good enough and I'll, I'll be productive enough that uh, it's well worth you hiring me, even though it's only going to be for two or three years. Well, that was 45 years ago, and I'm still here. What I found <laughs> got here was uh, it is just a great place to live. It's all about people. Uh, it was a great place to raise kids. Uh, it's all about community. It's all about uh, one high school town. Uh, it was a great place to coach because it was everything revolved around the high school. Uh, when we were successful, man, I mean, this community was just crazy. Uh, you know, we, we, you know, we'd have five, six, seven thousand people sometimes at football games in the playoffs. Um, and it just was really a, a great place. And then I've had opportunities to leave numerous times. And every time we did, uh, my wife and I would look and say, you know, do we like our church here? Absolutely. Do we like my teaching job or administrative job at the time? Absolutely. Do I like my coaching job? Yeah. So is the grass really greener on the other side? Well, maybe, but the reason it is, is probably because it's growing over a septic tank. Who knows about that other uh, school or whatever. <laughs> and uh, so we always just stayed here because of the people. Uh, once I retired in 1980, uh, excuse me, in 2010, um, and joined the Coaches Association. Uh, initially, Dave Johnson was the executive director. Marv Heater uh, was just retiring, and our offices were in Salem, um, uh, real close to South Salem High School. Um, and I went back and forth for three years, commuting between here and Salem, loving it. But I didn't want to move from Sweet Home. And then uh, once I became the executive director in 2013, we moved the offices to Albany, so it was a little bit closer to Sweet Home. But the bottom line is, I don't think I'll ever move. Um, and uh, I had to eat those words about leaving Sweet Home after two or three years, because I'll be honest with you, it's a great, great place to live. Uh, that's awesome that you that you found your home and that your uh, your ego was able to be uh, I don't know controlled once you realized how great it was and. Like you say, you know, the grass is greener is a thought that I'm sure comes into a lot of coaches' heads. But um, there's there's really something to be said about finding a place that you truly love. And 
you know, leaving that place might seem like a great idea and you, you just never know and have to kind of like you're checking boxes and trying to figure out, is it right for me? But um, yeah, super happy for you that you were able to find a home like that from the get go and get to be there for your you know ent- entire career, which is great. Um, yep. So, you, you know, obviously we've you mentioned you transitioned to the Oregon Athletic Coaches Association. You're the executive, sorry, executive director there. Um, what's that? What's that role entail? What are you actually doing? Well, what the Coaches Association is, is that uh, we're a little bit unique, and I'm really proud of it, is that we are the, um, in the state of Oregon, we represent all high school coaches, all sports, all classifications. In many states, um, you'll have a football association of coaches, you'll have a basketball association, you have a baseball association. Uh, But uh, fortunate for us that when it was set up, uh, uh, 85 years ago, it was for all sports, all classifications. And our role primarily is, uh, number one, uh, we want to represent and be a voice for coaches at the state level with the OSAA and um, uh, the national level, whether it be through the NFHS or uh, the American Football Coaches Association or whatever it is, we want to be that voice for them. And then through, uh, like anything else, we can provide, due to our numbers, a very um, uh, reasonable liability insurance package for coaches that have become so critical to coaches um, here in the last 10, 15 years and all. So uh, our membership uh, is about 3,500 in a normal year. Now, last year was not a normal year, but uh, we made it through, and we're hoping that this year (laughs) we get back to the real normal and uh, our membership goes back to where it is. But uh, we just are very fortunate that uh, we are in Oregon in that um, uh, we really have great partnerships with the OSAA. Uh, Peter Weber has followed uh, Tom Walter and Wes Edgar's uh, leadership style and really included coaches in decision-making. Uh, we have a member on their executive board. Uh, we have a member on every committee that the OSAA um, uh, convenes, um, you know, we're right right now as we're getting ready for the, um, reclassification committee. Uh, and we have a member on that again this time year. And so we really have a voice at the state level with them. Uh, we have a great working relationship with our athletic directors association. When we have a board meeting, we have representation from them. Uh, anytime the OADA has a executive board meeting or a league uh, rep meeting, we're there also uh, representing coaches. Uh, in the last 15 years, we've got involved with the Oregon Athletic Officials Association. And similar, when they have a board meeting, uh, we have a representative there uh, and we talk coaches and officiating back and forth. And recently now, we've also uh, joined the Athletic Trainers Society. Uh, and uh, are involved with them. And so it's just really, you know, we want to be that voice for coaches. And so we work really hard at getting to these other groups and being that. And uh, we just are very, very fortunate to have such a positive partnership with all these different organizations. We actually, uh, a very important committee for the OSAA is the SMAC committee, which is the medical doctors, and they deal with all the medical aspects of high school athletics here in the state. And um, through Dr. Keister's leadership, um, both Chris and I, who Chris Newson is our associate director, uh, Chris and I are a part of that committee. And every time they meet, uh, we're there uh, so that we can actually um, have uh, input if needed uh, to the decisions that they make. And so um, we are just really fortunate and blessed to work in a great state where we have these partnerships and can represent coaches. Well, and it's, it's, it's pretty cool, but, you know, as a, like, if you boil it down as an assistant coach, you have a really, uh, a narrow view of what you, you do in your role. Then you get to like the, the head coach level who has a little bit higher view of what's going on within the program. Right. And then you get to the athletic director, who's got this view of kind of all the programs, you kind of work your way up the ladder. And then, um, there's the, the Oregon athletic coaches association, who's able to have this super high view of high school sports and what that's like. Uh, here in Oregon. Um, so just within that role of being kind of an umbrella where you get to see all the different high school sports and the different coaches and the challenges and, and um, triumphs that they're all kind of facing and, and, and succeeding in. Um, within that role here in 2021, uh, what do you see as some of the like, biggest challenges that high school coaches are facing? 
Oh, great question. Um, uh, you know, it, it's funny how that's changed. In, in, in 2019, I had had one answer. This last year, um, in so many ways, because of the pandemic, uh, we became lobbyists for coaches. Um, and, uh, you know, we work daily with the state, uh, whether it be the governor's office or the uh, OHA or, or, or the Department of Ed uh, in working in a relationship with, uh, with Peter and the OSAA. And so this last year, our role was so much different than the normal year. And I think coaches were very similar, you know, in that it was so different for yeah. them because of the shortened seasons, because of those kind of things and all. Um, and, you know, now going forward, and, and I keep saying, you know, I want to get back to the real normal. Um, and, and I think when a coach gets back to the real normal, uh, the first challenge, the first challenge we have is just time commitment. Um, time commitment has changed over the years. Um, you know, when I first coached, I was a three-sport coach. I coached football, basketball, baseball. Uh, then eventually, I coached softball uh, rather than baseball. But bottom line was, I started coaching three sports. I'll be honest with you. There's unless you're in, in small rural areas, you don't see that anymore because it takes so much more time to be a coach in today's world than it was, um, you know, 30, 40 years ago. And so I think time commitment. Uh, uh, one thing that we continually emphasize is it's harder to keep long term coaches. You don't see the coach like you used to that was 45, 50 uh, years in the profession like you might have uh, even 30 years in the profession like you did because coaches kind of get burned out, um, need sabbaticals, uh, you know, and and almost regularly. Uh, and then um, also I think um, – how do I say this politically correct? I'll just be honest. I think because our, <laughs> because our administration has changed over the years, we see a lot more difficulty being a coach. Uh, I can remember uh, when I first started coaching, it was almost a natural progression. Uh, one of your better head coaches became the athletic director. And then over time, a lot of time, that athletic director became the principal. And in some school districts, that principal then became the superintendent. And so you always had people right. yeah. that were invo involved in co-curricular programs in your administrative positions. And they had an idea what it was like to be a coach. You don't see that anymore. Uh, you almost have professional yeah. administrators. And um, many times they have no connection to your athletic programs. And because of that, you don't see the support that maybe you, you saw back uh, 40 years ago. And so what I, you know, the, the, the two top criteria when coaches continually ask me about, you know, should I take this job or shouldn't I not take this job? I say the very first thing is make sure you look at your administrative team because you're only going to be as good as your administrators allow you to be. Um, and also a little bit is because of the turnover of administrators. Is there going to be any longevity in those administrators at all? And then the second thing I say is look at the coaches that you have uh, within that program. Your assistant coaches either will make you or break you. And in today's world, it's different. When I started coaching high school football in 1988, uh, every one of my 11 coaches were teachers in the building or at the junior high. And when I retired in 2009, my last year as a head football coach, I had two coaches that were actually teachers. Um, verse 11. And so, you know, you, we've seen the difference there. And so, you know, those are the two things that I think are just crucial for coaches is that they look at their programs and everything else is who's your administrators because they're either going to make you or break you. And then number two is um, the quality of your assistant coaches that you're going to be able to go get and, and, and keep. Um, and, and we were really fortunate in Sweet Home. That's another reason I stayed so long is we had great assistant coaches and a coaching staff that was very loyal to one another. And uh, our basketball coach supported football. Our baseball coach supported, you know, we always worked together because everybody was very supportive of one another. I had uh, Brian Sutherland, who was an athletic director for West Elm High School for a number of years and he coaches at a number of different um, sports over the years. I had him on uh, way back in episode two, back in like, Oh my gosh, September of 2020. Um, and one of the things he said really struck me and it kind of gets to the core of what you were just mentioning about um, administrators and even at maybe even a higher, well, even going into 
district offices and things like that, um, that it, it seems like over the course of the last 20 years or so, the view of high school sports has kind of changed from something that's powerful that can be leveraged uh, to something that oftentimes feels like a burden um, to the district or to some administrators. And um, one of the things I really liked when you were talking about your your time as a coach was how you brought teachers in to give you know little mini five you know five minute presentations or whatever, mm-hmm. and how that helped them become fans of your team and things like that things like that I think are really helpful because a lot of times if you're not involved in high school sports or if you didn't play high school sports, I think it's hard for people who didn't do one of those two things to understand how powerful the high school sports environment can be, not only for a kid um, just in terms of athletically, but then mental health wise in terms of, you know, helping him keep his grades up even. Um, And then like you talked about, you know, a kid who maybe has a home life that's pretty difficult that that high school sports team can become their, their home, their family, like exactly what they need. And so I, I, I do see that where it has, it's kind of become this feeling that sometimes for some people, high school sports seems like it's a burden, whereas it should be seen as something that can be really uplifting for kids. Absolutely. Great point. I think that is so true. Uh, and I think that's why we actually, and, and it's another part of how coaches have changed or, or sport uh, coaches have had to change is that we have to sell our programs to people. We have to be promoters. We have to go out and, um, you know, say the good things that, um, that's happening. Um, you know, I would go to rotary club meetings. I would teach out, you know, any kind of a community activity where I could go out and just talk about, you know, the things that these players are having, um, you know, your point, it was so emphasized this last school year. If you talk to coaches and you went back and looked at the front of the school year, September, October, November, because we, most schools were virtual and we didn't have those daily contacts with kids and all coaches continually talk to me about, man, my grades and my kids are just not where they need to be. What do yeah. I do? And how can I do this and all? And so, you know, um, luckily, you know, the OSAA kind of uh, saw that and we kind of had some changes. And I think school districts saw some changes there and all. But, you know, it, it wasn't the same because of that daily activity. One of the things that I was so proud of with all of our uh, programs is because of the type of things that we emphasize academically, our kids actually had better GPAs in season than they did out of season. Um, and so we would continually emphasize it. But we were continually in that top 10 percent of the OSAA academic uh, roles for our teams, whether it be softball, basketball, baseball, whatever, because we put an emphasis there. And, and like I said, our coaches really develop relationships with kids where we can do those kind of things and all. Um, and you just didn't see that in, in the early part of last school year because of virtual education. And I think that's why it's so important that we get kids back in the building with their coaches. And, I, and another thing, that's another reason why I really believe that educational-based coaching is so critical in today's world, and our coaches need to be in the buildings as much as possible because of that interaction with their kids throughout the day, in season, out of season, whatever it may be. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that it should be controversial, but I, I guess in some ways it might be controversial. But I am I'm definitely a firm believer that at, at a minimum – the head coach of a sports team at the high school level should be somebody that's in the building. There's just, I mean, there's just so much that happens and you know, within a school that you, you don't, I don't want to say you don't get if you're not in the school building, but you, it's just hard to fathom. It's hard to understand the, the daily interactions with kids. The, the, I mean, just even knowing about things that are going on in school and assembly that happened that day, uh, you know, it just all the things that go into the daily activities inside of a school building. It's a lot. And if yeah. you're not in that every day, it's, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it'd be really hard to be locked in enough to give your kids what they needed every single day on the field. Yeah. And, and so, you know, how many times as a teacher, you're sitting there and at lunchtime or break time or in between classes, here comes one of your players and all oh, of yeah. a sudden <laughs> he just failed a, 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 an algebra test coach, what do I do? Or, Hey, I just broke up with my boyfriend, girlfriend, coach. I'm really need somebody to talk to, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm having trouble at home, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I'll be honest with you. I never took a lunch break. I was in that cafeteria every day 
because I felt like I actually did my best teaching, my best coaching at lunchtime a lot of times, just roaming the cafeteria and roaming the halls and talking with kids. I love that part of education um, where you not talking about X's and O's. You're not talking about that practice time, but you're talking about just being a kid. Um, and so, like I said, I was a hall monitor, cafeteria monitor without even being asked because I wanted to be around kids at lunchtime. That's so funny. I, I, some of my coworkers kind of, they don't make fun of me, but I, I've never eaten lunch in the staff room with them. And I'm like, I do, I like to be around kids. Like it's, it's really fun. And it mm-hmm. is, it is, uh, those daily deposits, those daily interactions that if, if, if you don't have those with your kids and all you have is the sports component of it, it can be really hard for them to, um, I don't know, relate to you, trust you, be loyal to you and, and feel like you have, um, I don't know, a, a really good relationship with them. Not saying it's impossible. It's just kind of difficult to do. Um, so I know also during your, your time, I don't know where you find time to do everything, but um, you've also spent quite a good amount of time as the president of an umpire association. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of my uh, uh, outlet um, is I love to umpire baseball. And I uh, umpired for 44, 45 years. Uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to work the college level and the high school level, summer baseball, when I uh, did those kind of things and all. And what I always said was uh, coaching made me a better umpire, but just as importantly, umpiring made me a much better coach. Um, and uh, it was just a thrill to work with coaches, a thrill to work with student athletes, just at a different perspective and all. Um, you know, a lot of times when I was into it, uh, I'd work 115 to 125, 30 uh, games a summer. Uh, just loved working baseball. And um, so, yeah. From, from that standpoint, obviously, and and the pandemic made it worse, as we all know, but there's there's a massive shortage of game officials. And um, from what I've read, it, it seems like the average age of game officials um, – umpires included is getting really high and so there's this i don't know if it's a crisis yet but i it feels like we're kind of heading that direction of you know high school sports are dependent upon game officials you can't you don't get to play without the umpire there you know what i mean so um from your standpoint and being on both sides of this you know you've been able to coach you've been able to be um you know, like the executive director of an association, which you're still doing, obviously. And then through your time as an umpire, you've gotten to be able to put your feet in a lot of different waters. Um, what's the answer? How do we, what do we do? Uh, if I, we knew the answer, we'd be rich because um, I think a lot of people would pay to have that answer. Um, what we're finding is, <laughs> um, like you say, it's become yeah. a, Difficult to recruit uh, uh, officials, especially good officials that know the game uh, and are in it for just maybe the money or whatever, because they're really what they find is it's not money oriented. You're not there to make money. You're there to do a service more than anything. Sure, there's a little bit of money along the way, but that's not why you do it. Uh, It's interesting. When I was playing back in the 60s, 70s, what we found is a lot of the officials were coaches. Um, what they did is the football coaches would officiate basketball or baseball. Ba- basketball coaches would officiate football. And that's back in the time that where I'm saying the time commitment might be, you know, if you didn't coach, you officiated. Well, guess what? There are – I can't remember the last time I saw a coach that was an official. You just can't do it in today's world hardly at all because of the time committed, commitment it takes to coach. The other thing is um, life is uh, busy. I think it's a lot busier than it used to be. And so, um, you know, uh, people in their 20s used to officiate. Well, you don't see that occurring so much anymore. Um, And like you said, our average age is just creeping up and up and up. And so I really do believe you're right. There is a crisis in officiating. We look at ways to recruit. Uh, We have a recruitment and retention committee uh, on the OSAA for officials. And we're looking at different strategies to uh, hopefully – um, help that. Uh, the pandemic, of course, just um, accelerated that a little bit. So I'm hoping back to the real normal that we start getting some of these officials back, but I'm not guaranteed that we will do that. So it's something that we're working on. I think even as coaches, we have to work on. Uh, we continually send out emails saying, hey, 
and your post-game um, meetings with or post-season meetings with your players and all, uh, talk about, okay, hey, you're not going to go play college baseball. So, hey, you love baseball. Think about becoming an umpire. That way you stay involved with the game and those kind of things. And, and, and we say that same thing where basketball and football and soccer – uh, make sure that, you know, you talk to your kids about this is something you can give back to the game. You can enjoy it. What a great way to kind of have a part time job through college. And once you get doing it, the ones a lot of them get hooked because it's fun. I loved umpiring. Um, uh, and uh, so, you know, just the emphasis of trying to keep people involved. Yeah, I had, a, I had a college roommate who actually, uh, as soon as he basically got to college, he started umpiring and uh, really really seemed to love it and enjoy it. And, and when you're in college and you make a little bit of money too, which was kind of nice, a little bit of spending money. So that was good yep. too. But yeah, I think it's a great way to stay connected to the game that you love. Um, if you're, if you're no longer playing it and if you're not coaching and it's a much smaller time commitment in that respect and, um, offers a good way for people to stay connected to the sport, to the kids. And, and like, you know, they can't play the game unless they've got the officials too. So you're, you're a, a crucial member of the, the entire high school sports scene. Um, I have I have two questions I want to ask you before I let you go. Um, the first one is obviously, you know, looking at your, I don't know, resume, that's not the right word, resume though, <laughs> and how long you spent coaching in three sports and umpiring. And um, I know you also are a family guy. So uh, for, for coaches out there who have families, um, what's your... Um, what's your advice for, for people who are trying to figure out how to maintain that balance between this heavy time commitment that coaching is and also being a parent and a husband or a wife? Sure. Great question. You know, what we did is we carried over a priority list that we gave our student athletes each year. What we always said is here's your priority list uh, uh, during your season. Number one uh, priority should be a relationship uh, with a, uh, with your God, uh, and that can base all the way from kids that are very uh, Christ-like that want to you know be church involved or whatever. But we always said that religion and, and I don't like the word religion, but you know that that is your number one priority. Your number two priority is family, um, and then number three priority as a student athlete is academics. Uh, with your school and all. And then number four is in season. And then, uh, well, let's just say it's uh, baseball, in season baseball. And then five is other and other can incorporate all those other things in your life. And so students would come up to me and say, coach, I'm going to have to be 10 minutes late because I've got to uh, make up an algebra test or a half an hour late because I got to make up a calculus test. And I'd say, can you do that during lunch or can you do that during break so you don't miss practice? No, coach, I can't do it then. They've asked me to come in right at the end of school. And I said, well, look at your priority list. Am I going to say that's excused or not? Well, yeah, because school's more, you know, has a higher priority than uh, baseball. So they do that and then they get to baseball as quick as they could. Same thing with family. You know, if they had something dealing with family and all, they already knew the answer to for me uh, as far as the priority list. And so, what we found is we do that with our coaches too. What we said is coaches, family is more important than your job of teaching and also than, than the coaching. So we always said, if it's a family activity, you need to do it. What I try to tell our coaches is that very seldom do I ever want them to miss a, uh, an event of their child of some sort. So we even excused our coaches to maybe go to a, preschool play or something like that because we want dad to be there for their kid and what I found was I the retainment of coaches lasted so much longer for me mama was happy dad was happy that kid was ecstatic that dad was at that play for 30 minutes and we could always find ways that we could incorporate missing a coach or whatever and what we told our players were hey guess what he's at a family activity he'll be back to practice as soon as he can get back uh, and they understood that. Um, and so I think you have to keep family as a crucial part. 
Uh, that's another reason we put the moratorium weekend that we're in right now is that in the early 2000s, coaches were just not having any summers. You know, you guys uh, are baseball coaches. My gosh, you go right from baseball right into summer baseball, uh, school baseball into summer baseball. If you're a football coach or a, another coach or whatever, you might go into something else and then it's ready for school. And so what we said is, hey, we've got to have a week off where kids can be kids. Coaches can be family members. They can plan their vacations for this week and everything else. So that's why we pushed the moratorium week. And we got all kinds of, uh, you know, guff from coaches and, and administrators saying, you can't do this. You can't do this. Well, you know what I hear now is, hey, is there any way you guys maybe could do that two weeks out other than one week? Um, it's so good, you know. Yeah. And, um, we've kept it at one week because I think it works. But it's good for kids and it's good for coaches to know that they're going to have just that week of relaxation, family time. And so I just cannot emphasize that if you're going to be in this for a long time you and you want to stay married because your best coach on your staff is your spouse um, and you got to make sure that she knows that, or he knows that they're very important, is that you've got to keep that family priority above your coaching priority. That doesn't mean that you don't put time and energy into coaching, but family's got to be a higher priority. Yeah, and I think making sure your assistant coaches know that too is really important because oftentimes, especially if they're a younger coach, they they want to impress you. You know, they want to be looked at as a really dependable person, and mm -hmm. so they they're probably a little bit more inclined than the rest of us to not even bring it up. Hey, I, I need to miss, or hey, can I do? It? And just really stress to your assistants that it is not only okay but encouraged for you to miss this to go do whatever that family thing is because the family is going to be there forever. This this high school yeah. sports team is is gonna be they'll be back like you'll be fine <laughs> we're gonna be okay um, yeah. so Rob really enjoyed having you on but I wanted to hand the mic over to you one last time um, and just let you if there's anything we missed if there's something you think a coach could could learn from a lesson um, or whatever just kind of hand the mic to you one more time and, and let you go wherever you want with it. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, hopefully I'll have two quick stories and, and I won't take up too much time. But the first one is uh, in today's world, I think we're seeing sports specialization way too much. I believe in, in multi-sport athletes at a high school level. Um, that doesn't mean that they can't put time and energy into one sport. But I think a, a second sport is crucial for not only the development physically, but mentally and emotionally. Um, Matt Slauson was probably one of the best football players that we've had come through Sweet Home. Uh, big old offensive tackle, um, and he was tall. He was about 6'4", and weighed about 305, and a great football player. But I kept telling him, you got to do other things. So he was playing basketball, um, and uh, one year after the football season, he came up to me and he says, Coach, I just, after his junior year, he says, Coach, I just don't like basketball, and I'm not any good at it. I just stand up there and look big and try and rebound. I can't do this. And I said, well, you know what? Your brothers and your sisters were great swimmers. Were you ever thought about swimming? And he said, Coach, that's a great idea. I'm going out for swimming. Well, here's a guy in a Speedo, six foot four, 305 pounds. He was a highlight of any swim meet <laughs> because of what he did and all. But more importantly, <laughs> he, he swam his junior and senior years. Matt gets a full ride at Nebraska, University of Nebraska. He's playing. He's a four-year starter at Nebraska. He ended up with 11 years in the NFL. And I'll never forget the Nebraska strength coach calls me and he says, what did you do to make this kid's muscles the way they are? And I mean, what do you mean? He says, he's the biggest offensive lineman that I've ever seen have the long, lean muscle tone that you need that actually makes him a better offensive lineman. And and I said, well, would swimming do that? And he said, oh, man, I never thought of that. That's exactly what did it. And so now all of a sudden, Nebraska's having all their linemen swim in the offseason because of the type of muscles that, that was developed in MAP. Um, and that just shows you how, you know, I always say the best thing that you can do is compete. Um, a basketball player, a football player is a better football player because of playing baseball. There's nothing like standing at that plate and saying, okay, it's you and me, pitcher, let's get it done, or you being a pitcher and saying, hey, it's you and me, batter, let's getting it done, Then and, and teaching them how to compete in anything you can do in the weight room, anything that you can do conditioning. So multi-sport athletes to me are just crucial. And I, can't, and I emphasize that, and I think we're losing that aspect of what's so important 
to kids. I think, and then uh, that's just the physical part. The mental and the emotional part is so important too, uh, playing that other sport. Then the other thing I want to say, and I mentioned to you early, is there is nothing more important than developing relationships with kids. You have to have a, a conscious effort of developing and getting to know your student athlete. Um, short story, first year at Sweet Home, uh, we, I'm, I'm the new defensive coordinator, and our best defensive lineman is being late to daily doubles, and I'm really upset about it. And so I tell John, I said, hey, John, I'm going to come pick you up tomorrow. Oh, no, 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 coach. I, I can't have you pick me up before morning practice. You just can't do it. And I said, no, I'm going to be there, John. Well, so I get his address from the school office, and I drive out there to get him uh, about 7 o'clock in the morning. And I come up to this house. I knock on the door, and this lady, uh, his mom opens the door. Uh, it's a dirt floor house. And I said, I'm here to pick up John for football practice. And she says, well, she says, he's out there. And she points to the doghouse. And so I go, what? And so I go out to the doghouse. And sure enough, he's in a sleeping bag sleeping in the doghouse. And I go, John, what are you doing? He says, well, my dad's a little bit abusive, especially when he drinks. What we have found is it's better for me not to be in the house in the evenings. And so that's why I'm sleeping out here. Um, and I'm going, wow. And all of a sudden, John being 5, 10, 15 minutes late at practice, that morning practice was a little bit different thinking for me because of that life situation. And that's why I did those surveys of asking kids and, and those kind of things and all, because once you get to know kids, um, it's really important. Everybody always would ask me, well, what's your discipline policy, coach? And I said, my discipline policy is being consistent with variation. And they said, what? And they said, you have to be consistent as a team for discipline. But every kid is different. And so there has to be some variation built into that discipline package because of who the kid is, what his background is, his home life, you know, all those kind of things. And so, you know, I just think those two things, I think multi-sport athletes are just crucial in today's world for the health of the overall health of our student athletes. And then the second thing is get to know your kids. Each kid is different. Each kid is unique. And you have to understand that. And that, that's why you develop those lifelong relationships and lifelong lessons um, that are so critical in, in coaching today. Uh, Heart-wrenching, but uh, really important for coaches to hear and understand because it that really encapsulates what it's like to be a high school coach and to do things the right way, right way and be uh, relationship driven. It, it's just so important. Rob, I uh, appreciate you so much for coming on. Uh, thanks for doing this and uh, just wish you the best of luck moving into this year as we try to get back to normal. Thanks, Max. I've really enjoyed it and uh, appreciate the opportunity. Every conversation seems to end up getting back to one simple concept, relationships. You might have missed it, but really early in our conversation, Rob mentioned how badly he wanted to talk about relationships and that he hoped we'd get into that part of coaching. And obviously by the end of the episode, he really had a chance to dive into it. So go out there this year and focus in on building relationships. Kids need us now more than ever before. Remember to join me on Twitter at 9 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, September 14th for the fifth HS Coaches Club chat. The topic is something we all need but rarely enjoy <laughs> fundraising. I'm excited to hear from everyone and, and just see what kind of ideas y'all have. If you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter yet, or if you haven't picked up some High School Coaches Club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're on Apple Podcasts. And most importantly, if you found any value at all from this episode or any previous episode, please share this thing to somebody. Huge fist bump to Rob Younger for jumping on the call with me. Thanks again to Netting Pros and Driveline Plus for sponsoring the episode and to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's it. That's all I got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.